your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Well, this was the last Sunday in 2014. Maybe that means something to you, maybe it don't. I was thinking this morning in 1977, <clears throat> I took on the responsibility of... of uh, taking care of a woman that's very important in my life, and that's my wife, Cindy. In 1978, we looked at one another and said, you know what? God's calling us both into the ministry. I'm a firm believer if he's called you into the ministry that he can use a sharp axe a whole lot better than he can use a dull one. So we entered into Bible college. In 1982, I graduated after pastoring 18 months, moved back here. Uh, lived in uh, on Kirkland Road, served after at what then was, uh, gosh, I can't even remember, the, Eastwood. Eastwood's gone as far as I, I, I don't know. There may be a nucleus of them around. But I served Centennial Baptist Church for four years in 85, 1982 to 85, then went to, in 1989 or 85, I went to Bethlehem First Baptist between Monroe and Winder. And then in 1989, God says, okay, I told you earlier we're going to let you be a part of a starting a new church. We're going to make it happen. I said, well, good night. You, you'll have to do it because I, I don't know how to start. And uh, so anyway, <clears throat> came here in 1989, been in the ministry right at now 35 years. And uh, two years of those was actually I was in Bible college. Started pastoring in 1980. I don't feel like sometime like Paul that I know much more than when I started. But uh, I have run into a few things, hit a few walls, made some mistakes, sinned a lot, confessed a lot, repented a lot. And uh, I think you'll find yourself pretty much in the same boat. Hopefully, if you're sinning, you're confessing and repenting. You know what repentance means, right? That you're not repeating that rascal. Because if you're repeating that rascal, it's become a foothold into a stronghold. And uh, sometimes those are a little bit more difficult. And you go through a whole lot more hell to get out of it. So we all have some of those in our life. Paul is in a point in his life where he's trying to figure out what is God doing? What is God up to? You know, this last year, I had to, I've had to ask that question several times. God, what in the world are you up to? What are you doing? Where I was watching my son play in the band, and now I'm having to watch him try to lead the band, doing a good job. Guys behind him, they, they all love one another, all working as a unit. But, you know, I said, Lord, what, what are you doing? Uh, in, in several areas, bringing a Bell South guy on. Uh, Jason Williams. God, what are you doing? And, and I'll never forget walking in his office one day. He was sort of looking at the wall, and I knew what he had. I knew he was facing some difficulty, and he had that stare like, did I make a mistake leaving Bell South? And we all faced those times in the ministry. Paul was in prison, and it was like, well, now I persecuted the church. And now that I'm a part of the church, I'm being what? Persecuted. Pick it up in verse 12, Philippians 3. 
Paul said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Now, some of you walked in here and you, and you say, you know what? I got it going on. I'm perfect. I don't want to be around you because I'll mess you up bad. I used to hear people say, well, I'm looking for the perfect church. I think there's one in Atlanta. But I wouldn't join it because I would mess it up. Paul knew. He said, I keep, but I keep working toward that day when I finally will be all that Jesus Christ saved me and wants me to be. Do you really know that that's what God wants? He, he saved you, and he just wants you to be all you can be in, with him in you. Following him, as you heard the testimony of Robin. Following his voice as she. Following his instruction. It's not that hard if, if we're hearing him. Verse 13 said, No, dear brothers and sisters, I still am not all that I should be. Ever gotten that point sometime? You go, Lord, why did you put me in this spot? I, I just, to be honest with you, Lord, I feel like I got a long way to go. He said, Amen, you do. But Paul says, But I am not what I should, all that I should be, but I'm focusing on my all my energies on one thing. We're going to talk about this morning the one thing that you must do. The one thing that I must do. You know what it is? Are you doing it? He said that one thing for him was forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, he says, I strain to reach the end of the race, receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. I think it's important that you and I know that there is one thing we must do. Now, some of you got this resolution junk on your mind. Well, yeah, Mike, there's one thing that I must do. I must lose weight. Well, some of you need to gain a little weight. But yet, if, if you're playing havoc on your heart and your blood pressure's high, I'll agree. You need to learn how to eat. And what not to eat. And you do need to lose weight. Some of you are looking at this year, new year we're going into, and I just need to join a health club and become physically fit. I don't know what those two have together because you can be physically fit at the house if you'll exercise, but, but some of you need a little encouragement. I, I just need to eat more healthy. That's one thing I need to do. Some of you, now, I know a lot of you in here smoke, and I'm, I used to smoke, but from a pastor's point of view, I'm tired of people seeing, I'm tired of seeing people die of COPD. Do you know what that death looks like? Come and go with me. Let me show you. Cirrhosis of the liver, COPD are the two most tragic, horrific, I mean, painful deaths. And by the way, you know what I learned? I never smoke one of my cigarettes. They all smoke me. They just dope me. Work on, re- I, I need to work on reducing my stress. How many of you feel just stressed out? You, you, maybe this year, I need to work on that. Maybe some of you are contemplating taking a trip somewhere. 
or you're going, maybe you've done got to the point where, you know what, I need to volunteer to help others. I need to volunteer here at Solid Rock. I need to get involved in God's Word. Some of you maybe have come to the point where you just can't sit anymore, and you said this, I'm tired of sitting, and something's just got to change. Thank God if you're at that point. A man had finally gotten a little overboard, and he decided that change was needed. So Larry Walter, who was 33 years old, a truck driver, who had been sitting around doing nothing until boredom got, boredom got the best of him. It was the summer of 1982 when he decided what he needed was an adventure in his life. So on July the 2nd of that year, he rigged up 42 helium balloons and tied them to a Sears lawn chair. And in San Pedro, he lifted off. He surprised himself. Thank God he took a pellet rifle with him because he had arrived at 16,000 feet when not only was he surprised, but pilots that were flying by radioing, radioing in to radio uh, or to uh, air traffic control said, you ain't going to believe what I just saw. It ain't Santa Claus coming back, but some goofy dude is on a a Sears lawn chair floating at 16,000 feet. Well, finally, he came to his senses, took out his pellet rifle, and shot a few of the balloons. Finally, he landed safely in Long Beach after a 45-minute flight. Now, the bizarre stunt got him a time ad as well as a guest spot on The Tonight Show. Ultimately, he quit his job. He began to deliver motivational speeches. When the question would come, why did you do such a weird thing? Walters usually gave him the same answer. He said this, people ask me if I had a death wish. And I'm telling you, no, it's something I had to do. I just couldn't sit there any longer. You know, when you think about how fast your life's flying by, and that one day we're going to stand before Jesus and give an account of every idle word and, and every work and word and everything that we do. And, and, and some of us are going to have to say, well, Lord, I just sat there. I was content sitting on my backside, listening to the preacher preach and then going home and forgetting it. But, you know, I think the longer you and I live, the more we should realize how not only the years are beginning to speed by us, but that we ought to maximize the potential of every year that God gives us while we're on this earth. And we ought about be about doing what we ought to do for Him. Why is it that we come to this point in time as we approach a new year and some of you are just continuing to bring the same old baggage from last year over into this year. Your spiritual life hadn't changed. Your social life hadn't changed. Your physical lives haven't changed. Your vocational life is just at a, a standstill. And you feel a bit just stuck. The date changes, but the destination hasn't. You ever felt that way? A minister parked his car 
in a no parking zone, sort of like around Grady. If you don't find, you got to find a meter or you're in trouble. So his time was short and he couldn't find anything. So he just parked it in, put a, he wrote a little note on his windshield that read, I've circled the block 10 times. And if I don't park here, I'll miss my appointment. Forgive us our trespasses. When he returned, he found a ticket on his window that said from an officer this note. I circled this block for 10 years, and if I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. <laughs> you see, the truth of it is, there are some of you today feel a bit overwhelmed. There are some of you that feel like that you're tempted just to stay in the same condition, stuck, and that you've been there so long, why not? Why do the right thing? Why do what God wants? I mean, goodness, I've lived five, ten years just doing my own thing. Why change? You see, while you may still feel trapped and stuck, a victim of your own circumstances, life does have a tendency to continue to roll on. Paul was feeling a victim of his own circumstances. Here he was in prison, in prison possibly for a different reason. Now he was sticking up for Christians when he was killing Christians. And he's been persecuted for it. He said in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. But Christ Jesus has made me his You know what Paul admitted? He admitted that he had not arrived. Some of you need to be told you have not arrived. You're not perfect. But you don't have to use that as a whipping post. You can use that as a motivation to run a, a more stringent race. You know, some people get up in the morning, and they say, well, good morning, Lord. And some of you go, good morning, Lord, it's morning. Oh, my goodness, can't believe it's another day. Well, that's got to be a miserable way to live. I think that you and I need to understand that while we may have done a lot in our life, there's still a whole lot more to do. Paul realized that he had been a lot of places, but he still had a lot of more places to go. He had reached his potential, but he hadn't reached his full potential. As long as you and I are drawing breath on this earth, there are lessons for us to learn. Some of you learned some lessons in the year 2014. Now, the situation of which it was around is difficult. A bit overwhelming, I might add. Paul said in verse 13, Brethren, in the King James Version, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind me and reaching forth for the things which are before me. You see, going into this old new season, Paul encourages us, put the old one behind you. Paul learned a tremendous lesson. You can't focus on where you're going until you forget where you've been. Some of you right now have your mind so set 
and so stuck on what's happened to you and the mistakes that you've made and the sin that you've committed that you can't have a clear perspective of what God wants for you right now. We need to remember as you run, it's important where you've been, but not near as important of where you are right now and where you're headed. Where are you headed? Paul says, you can't run forward if you're always looking backwards. Can't go forward if you're looking backwards. Don't misunderstand. The word forget doesn't mean failing to remember. There'll be things in your mind until you develop Alzheimer's. I hope that doesn't happen to you. But if it, I want you to know there'll be things that's happened to you that you will never forget. So how, how can Paul say, forget those things behind me? You know what he means? What he really means is, it's not that, you're, that you'll ever fail or totally erase the past from your memory. But the word forget here means to not be influenced, not be affected, not be manipulated, not be destroyed by the very thing that imprisoned you. That's what it means to forget it. When God said, for example... I will remember your sins no more. What did he mean? Did he mean that God all of a sudden woke up one day with a bad memory or a a, a case of amnesia? No. What God means is that he no longer allows your past to affect your relationship with him right now. Now, Christmas time brings depression. You ever wondered why? You know, when I was a kid, I'd, I don't remember ever getting depressed. When I, I, I remembered such great anticipation. And while I may not gotten everything I wanted, I got some things that I asked for. And it's just so exciting. It's exciting to see the kids keep, even though it's not the entirety uh, of what Christmas is all about. But you know what? Hadn't the church gotten a little bit like we are now toward Christmas, toward Him? Well, bless God, He died. He loves me. But you don't serve Him. You don't change the era of your ways. You're not excited about getting up and serving Him. It's just kind of like you want to just say, I'm like an anchor. I can't go anywhere because it's stuck in the mud. There was a man who <clears throat> went to see his doctor. He said, doctor, you got to help me. And he said, well, first of all, what's wrong? He said, well, I'm suffering from amnesia. What do I do about it? He said, just go home and forget about it. <laughs> you know, I think that's sometimes what we do in our lives. We got all these issues, things that don't go our way, things are not working out, and the way we deal with it, ah, just forget about it. What about calling out to the very one that can change the circumstance? 
I believe it's possible that as we look back in 14, 2014, and we look at our mistakes, we look at our failures, we look at the things we did, the things that we should have done we didn't do, or the things we did do we shouldn't have done. We look at all those things, and all of a sudden, we find out that we're in bondage to the past. You know, Paul said, look, you need to be free from the past. But too many of us are in bondage to our past. Your future is enslaved by your past. You need to be set free. How needful are the words of Paul, forgetting those things which are behind. Remember, you'll remember them, but do we have to let them drag us down? Do we have to let them depress us? Do we have to let them destroy us and bring us back in the same actions that we had before? No, absolutely not. Paul wasn't a bit specific when it got down to suggesting the things. He mentions the things that we need to put in the past. But I'm going to give you three. Number one, you and I need to put our past sins behind us. Now, listen to me. Satan is good at this. He knows how to take your past failures and make you remember them so vividly and so consistently that he paralyzes you. You can't go forward because all you can think about is your failure and behind. You see, there are past sins that haunt us. Past sins and failures can be a ball and chain to the present and the future of your life and mine. You see, Satan loves to throw your past up in your face. And no matter how you try to get away with it, somebody's always bringing it up. But do you have to be sucked into that? No. Because I personally believe that even though while many of us have skeletons in the closet, y'all know what that is? You know, there's a a verse in in Revelation that says, when we get before the throne... We're going to have to give an account of every idle word, every, everything we did right and everything we did wrong. I hope, I hope that they don't show all the things I did wrong and y'all there see it. And the only consolation might be if they do that, you'll be in a perfect state. Because you'd probably say, you scutter. You'll forget that you've probably done the same thing. But you you scattered. You made me feel guilty all those years preaching to me. And you was guilty of that. By the way, we're not guilty if we've confessed it and we've repented of it. If you ain't doing it no more, you are no longer guilty. You're free. In the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus. Well, you know those times of dating. I don't know how you were, but this one young lady. She was a young lady, and a young man was trying to ask her out. And 
he wasn't a Christian, she was, and she kept turning him down. And he asked her again, wanting her to go to a rock concert. Now, I'm not... Anyway, this is just the story. As she said again, no, he began to mock her a little bit. And he said, look, what do you do for fun? You don't dance, you don't drink, you don't attend rock concerts. What do you do for fun? And to the young man, she said, for fun, I get up in the morning without feeling embarrassed, without feeling ashamed, without feeling guilty about the things that I'd done the night before. Interesting, isn't it? Could we actually live that kind of committed life to where when we get up the next morning, we don't feel guilty what we did the night before? I believe that's what God wants for our lives. I believe he wants that kind of commitment out of us. But some of you are sitting here with past sins that just haunting you like a ghost. And remember, if you've confessed it and you've repented of it, it's nothing but a skeleton. And put it in the closet. But then there are past sins that hinder you. This inner voice of self-condemnation begins to play in your a repeating tape in your mind and accuses you and says, you are no good. You are defective. Well, how does that make you feel? <laughs> well, you know what? That, what? that might be what your mind says, but that ain't the truth. You see, while you may feel that way, sometimes feelings are fickle. Especially if it ain't going on in your life. I like what Adrian Rogers said about being hindered and haunted by your past. Here's what he said. Failures need not be final, and failures need not be fatal. I like that. Sure, we mess up. And sure, you may think you're the only one that did something like that. But you know what? The worst thing could happen after you've had a failure is to stay in it. The greatest thing you can do is come out of it. Because the Bible tells us that we have the ability in Christ to fulfill His purpose on this earth without caught up in a bunch of sin. Some of you are sitting here today and you believe because of what's taken place in the past, you can't ever serve God again. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And I want you to know that is exactly what Satan wants you to think. He doesn't want you to feel like you could ever be used again. He wants you because then he can keep you stuck and you won't come out. And it's unique sometimes that we get into something that seems to be easy, but when we come out, we have to fight. Well, Jesus said, look, the fight is mine. The battle is mine. If you follow me, hear my voice. If you meet me every day, you listen to me, I'll lead you in the still waters. I'll lead you into peace. I'll lead you into joy. I won't lead you into confusion. Now, that's a cool promise, isn't it? Sometimes I think we get caught up in the state of apathy and indifference 
And let me tell you why I believe that happens to us. It's not because we're not good folk. It's because we let our circumstances so overwhelming us. We, we allow our things, think, uh, uh, things to, in our life to get to the point where we don't feel worthy. And so all of a sudden, Satan brings the depression. He brings the rejection. He brings the guilt and the shame. He brings all this stuff on us. And we go, oh, my goodness. I can't serve in the church. I can't help Jesus. But yes, you can. (laughs) If you listen to the advice of Paul. Some of you here today, you've been hurt by your family. You've been hurt by friends. You've been hurt by the foe. And maybe some of you just downright mad at the father. But listen to me. One day a neighbor leaned over the fence... And around the farm, he watched the neighbor plowing with a mule. After a while, the neighbor said, I don't like to really tell you how you're doing your business, but you could save a lot of time if you just tell that mule, gee and haw, and quit yanking on the reins and quit pulling at his head. The neighbor who was plowing pulled out a rag and wiped his head. He said, well, I reckon you're right. But this animal kicked me five years ago, and I ain't spoke to him since. Now, let's face it. This is serious. Some of you have been kicked in the gut, and you ain't talking about it. You better find somebody that you can trust, and you better tell it. And you better know you can get some help. Because you can't carry that stuff around and expect for God to really use you as freely as he wants to. Yep, you might have to admit that you made a mistake. You might have to admit that you sinned. And by the way, I'm so sick and tired of church religious folk saying, well, Bless God, you murdered somebody, but I didn't do nothing but lied. You were both sinners in God's eyes. And there ain't no sin worse than the other. There's some circumstances that involve it because gossiping, you might not go to jail. But if you murder somebody, you go to jail. But sin, sin. So quit trying to make yourselves look better than somebody else. The only thing that, make look, the only thing that we're ever going to look good at is when we let Jesus shine in us. Because you let your flesh rule, and I promise you, you'll be back doing what you did of the past, and you'll repeat it the rest of your life. You can't let flesh rule. you got to listen to Paul. Forget the things of the past. Let go of the influence. I don't know all the reason for the movie Frozen, and I've never seen it. But my youngest little granddaughter, Stella, she goes around, let it go. Let it go. I really don't know what she's talking about, but it sounds good in this situation. <laughs> My wife tried to tell me a little bit about the, that movie, and I still am confused. But you're not confused when it comes to letting something go. You're finding out it ain't easy to let it go. And some of you are thinking you're growing spiritually by hanging on to it, and it's actually taking you down. God, let it go. I like how Stella says, let it go. 
One day we'll have her up singing. Man, don't you know what it feels like to be kicked in the gut, even if it's your fault? I never will forget. We got kids in here, though. I better not tell about this, but when I was my first time with, not with alcohol, but my first time being intoxicated, I try to use as large words as I can. <clears throat> Back then, I was in Midway. We'd spent the night somewhere. I didn't even know where I was at. Anyway, we ran two miles. I hadn't had any breakfast, and I'd had two tall, two, two bud, bud tall boys, tall, a couple of them. And by the time I got to two and a half, three run, everything was spinning. I got sick. And the coach, I played football, he was, keep, he was watching Midway football. Thing. I said, golly, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to get caught and get kicked off the football team. So I called my mama. That's what we always do. You know, mama boys, I called mama. She said, what's wrong? I said, I'm sick, mama. I am sick. <laughs> she come pick me up. And I tried to hold it till I got home, but it didn't work. She looked at me and she said, sick? You've been, you know what I'm talking about. And you're, uh-huh, that's right, Mama, get me home right now. For a day and a half, I sat in an old tire out in the backyard just watching her just spinning around. <laughs> you know, my mama never told my daddy. I thought he was going to be, he would have beat up. But she said, why didn't you tell him? Because I didn't want him to beat up. I said, yeah, you enabled me. But you know, the Father knows when you mess up. He knows your mistakes. He knows what you think. He knows the way you act. He knows what comes out of your mouth. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's genuine. And he knows what's counterfeit. But I really believe with all my heart that we need to I don't blow back. I ain't even got the second point, have I? Oh, Lord. Let me give you the points, and I'm going to close. Second of all, put your sorrows behind you. <clears throat> Thirdly, put your past successes behind you. You know, we, we faced a lot of sorrow, and, and we faced some successes. But you can't run on the successes of the past. You have to win today, and you have to wake up and want to win tomorrow. And the only way you and I are ever going to be a success is that you and I, with all of our heart and our soul and our mind, we make the goal of following the upward call that Jesus has put on all of us. For some of you, that means to be saved. For others, it means you're not reading your Bible anymore. You quit praying. You quit seeking his face. And I guarantee you, you're not hearing his voice. Because if you don't seek him, you're not going to find. 
He's not going to, he's speaking, but you can't listen because you're all caught up in being ahead of him. Remember, his sheep hear his voice and what? Follow him. Not follow your will and way. Not follow what bright idea you might have. For me, this one thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to seek God's upward call for my life. And I want to be all that Jesus saved me to be and what he wants me to be. Not what I want to be, what he wants me to be. And my prayer is, you make that same. Go for yourself.